0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Well, I want to dive into the Word of God today, and so I'm going to continue on our series as we've been studying the last four chapters of the book of Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to dive into Revelation chapter 20 in just a moment, but it was just a week ago where we were um, recognizing Memorial Day. We were paying honor and respect to those who paid the highest price for our national freedoms, and rightfully so, we should do that. But in just a few short weeks, there's another day that's coming in which Christians the world over are going to be paying honor and recognizing those who paid the highest price for their profession of faith in Christ, those who lost their lives for trusting in Christ. It's called the International Day of the Martyr. It's June 29th. I would love for you to mark your calendars and join believers the world over. Now, uh, June 29th has been a day recognized by the church since the early uh, church and uh, has been a continued tradition. And it's a day that's set aside to be able to remember those who, again, paid the highest price for their faith were martyrs for the Christian faith and, uh, and to also remember the 360 million estimated Christians who are suffering heavy persecution for their faith today. Over the last several years, I've gotten a chance to visit some spaces and places where I have seen firsthand these brave brothers and sisters in Christ who every day at the risk of their lives are proclaiming Jesus. Ramesh I would put in in that category him and his family humble as they are it has been uh, quite uh, the battle spiritually and at times they have faced tremendous risk personal risk to do the work that they're doing there are many countries around the world where there are laws that strictly ban the evangelism or the proclamation of Christ, many suffering imprisonment and beaten, and some, again, even at the cost of their lives, remain faithful to the testimony of Christ. Now you may be asking, Chris, why bring this up? It's because I've often asked myself, and many times I've even gone before the Lord and asked him, what is it that keeps these believers going? No doubt the thought has to come into their mind as it does in many of ours when things get hard for our testimony to Christ, when it feels like we're gonna lose relationships with our closest family and friends, or we're gonna be persecuted or kept out of the social interactions around us, or maybe even boxed out economically, like many of them are facing. What gives them hope? What keeps them going? I don't believe that's a contemporary question. As a matter of fact, I know it's not. The fact of the matter is as much of scripture is written to answer the question of how do we maintain hope in Christ so that we don't abandon our faith, so that we can finish strong. This is the reason why John, the apostle, is moved by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Revelation. It's because the believers that were living at that time He's writing to seven churches who are in what we would call modern-day Turkey, which in that time, that ancient time, was called Asia Minor. These seven churches were living up under the tyranny of one of the bloodiest emperors Rome has ever seen. Maybe you've heard of the reign of Emperor Nero. Nero persecuted Christians and he hated them in particular because unlike other religions that often during that day would allow polytheism or the multiple worship of gods Christians had a different refrain we proclaimed that Christ alone was lord And so he would burn them at the stake or throw them to the lions or martyr them, all in an effort to dissuade them from proclaiming Christ as Lord and to encourage them like the rest of the empire to say that Caesar is Lord. But Christians refuse to do that. They refuse to stop Uh, trusting in Christ. They refused to stop living for Christ. As a matter of fact, they even modeled the way of Christ by loving their enemies who were persecuting them, and the church grew, and it swelled, and it continued to multiply, so much so that it became well known that the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, are the seeds of the church. The more you persecuted them, the more they grew and multiplied. But what was it that kept them from abandoning their faith? I believe that what it was is they had a vision of the future, that they were reminded again and again, and they would remind themselves again and again of how the story ends. And how many are grateful today that as you sit here today, that in spite of the encroaching hostilities of the Christian faith, even in our own country, and in spite of the persecutions that we may face by living in the face of a fallen world, how many are grateful that you know how the story ends, that Christ wins, that the devil is defeated, that Jesus is exalted, that there is a great reward if we hold on to our faith. And in many ways, today, I want to encourage you, don't let God go of your faith. I also want to encourage you, if you have not yet believed, to believe and follow Christ because it's only in Christ where we have such a robust hope that no matter what we experience, the betrayal, the brokenness, the mistreatments, the injustices, all of those things pale in comparison to the great hope that is birthed in the believer who is trusted in Jesus. And so John writes... He writes as an exile himself. When he's writing this book what we call Revelation, the last book of the Bible by the way, he's writing from an island called Patmos. He's there, he's being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus, but he's writing to believers to encourage them. And how does God equip him to do that? He gives him seven visions. What Revelation is, is a record of seven visions given to John um, by, by God that is shared about what will ultimately happen upon the return of Christ. And last week, Pastor Steve's really did such a good job of taking us further in our study in Revelation 19. As a matter of fact, I strategically planned my vacation to give him the toughest text. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, he did a great job, but the text we're covering today uh, I think is equally as challenging. As a matter of fact, we're gonna look at six verses in Revelation chapter 20, and, and let me just say that these, these verses are, um, they, they merit, honestly, a couple weeks in a, in a Bible college or a seminary course. As a matter of fact, I remember sitting through several weeks on this chapter with my then professor, John Jelenic, who's a pastor here now, who, by the way, is at his son's church watching his grandbabies get baptized today. So praise God for that. We love the Jelenics. Uh, but I remember sitting through multiple weeks. I don't have multiple weeks. I've already, uh, I've already used uh, 10 of my 30 minutes just introducing myself. <laughs> but this whole thought of all things becoming new and, and, and what is unfolded in these verses we're going to look at merits tremendous time. So we approach it with a hefty amount of humility. Steve Gregg, who edited a a, a commentary in the book of Revelation, four views on the book of Revelation, says this, that this chapter, Revelation 20, might be arguably the most controversial chapter in the entire Bible. Entire systems of interpretation have been built off of this chapter. Maybe you've heard the terms before, premillennial, postmillennial, post-millennial, amillennial. How many have heard these terms before? All right, some of you have been infected by that disease of lofty words. And don't worry, if you haven't heard these terms, in some ways it might even be an advantage because you can just look at the text like we're gonna do today and just see what is there and set aside your, your system. Um, But for those who who do know those terms, I just want to quickly summarize. The premillennial position is the position that historically has been our doctrinal position here at at Woodside. certainly has been the one that I adopted, and the way that it, it, it presents itself is that Uh, We're in the church age right now, and then Jesus is going to rapture his church, and we will be with him for this period called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And while we're there in heaven with him rejoicing, there's going to be great tribulation here on earth. And at the end of that period, Christ is going to return to earth, and he will inaugurate a thousand years of peace as Satan is bound, and we will rule and reign with him. And then all the consummation, the full consummation of all the promises of the end time will happen and it will usher in a new kingdom age, new heaven and new earth. And that's looking at that millennial reign as a literal thousand years. Then there are those who see the millennial reign of Christ as a figurative, Uh, They're they're called post-millennialists, and they believe there's going to be this golden age right before Christ returns where the gospel is going to advance and spread to the point where the whole world will be ultimately Christianized. And then they're amillennialists. And amillennialists, uh, it's not that they don't believe in the millennial, but they believe we're living in it right now, that it's the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And how many are more confused now than five minutes ago? By the show of hands, I've done my job well. That's my job. But, uh, but on a serious note, uh, we've ascribed to, and I personally ascribed to, a literal reading of what we're, we're, we're gonna dive into today and believing in this millennial reign of Christ and that he's gonna rapture his church and that he's coming back again. But I will say this, humbly, there is great, uh, there are great, there's great scholarship In all of those areas, in each position, and I have brothers and sisters in Christ who hold different views, Uh, different positions on these end times events in particular the when and the where and the how they hold different views and you can do so and still be a believer if you still proclaim that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone And, and and these become some secondary issues though very important secondary so that means that you don't have to fully align with where I land it's okay for you for you to be wrong and I'll still love you but but I will say but I will say this that these things are important questions but I think the most fruitful approach to our study today these six verses I'm going to dive into now is to ask ourselves not so much the when and the where and the how those are important questions but today we're going to look at the what and the why and what I believe we're we're going to see is that Christ will reign in a millennial kingdom And why is that important for us? Well, I believe it's important because it encourages us as believers to remain faithful in the face of persecution and difficulty and hard times and brokenheartedness and injustice and mistreatment and marginalization. And when it feels like evil is winning, has anybody ever felt like evil is winning? The bad guys are advancing. And there certainly will be moments like that where you feel like Satan has the upper hand. And we need to be reminded with visions of the future of what the ultimate outcome is. And that is Christ reigns and we will reign with him. He is victorious. Satan is fighting the feudal fight. He will not win. So what is happening here? Two things I would argue. First... We see that Satan is bound. Look at verse number one with me. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. Now, some of your translations will say the abyss and the great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. And shed it and sealed it, sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And so, what do we see here? We see God exercising his sovereign great power over evil. It is God triumphantly and boldly, resoundingly reminding us that Satan is not the yin to his yang. If you got in your mind a picture of Satan being God's equal but evil counterpart, you got a wrong view of Satan. He is subordinate to God. He is not in God's class. Only God is omnipotent. He Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omniscient. Only he has all power, and he exercises that power. And as I've reminded you before, what this text reminds us of in the original audience is that God does not relinquish one day, one moment, one square inch to Satan. As a matter of fact, again, as I have said, over every square inch of created order, Christ boldly declares mine. He is Lord of all, and so he sends this angel, and I love that it's a nameless, ordinary angel. It just reminds us that Satan is not the all-powerful foe that many of us deem him to be. Formidable, but not all-powerful, not almighty. Only God is, and so God wants us to know Through this inspired writing, John wants his original audience and us by extension to know who it is that is being bound. This one who has wreaked havoc, the arch enemy of all things that are of God, especially God's people, and that is the devil who's been causing problems since the garden up until now. That's the one that's going to be bound and imprisoned. And how do we know that? It's because John calls him not by one name, but by four names. Verse number two, we see the first name, he seizes the dragon. And then John says, just in case you don't know who we're talking about, that ancient serpent. Now as Pastor Steve reminded us last week, the key to interpreting Revelation is to have a strong grasp of the Old Testament. Uh, the, The Torah, if you will, the Pentateuch in particular. and so. Here, who is this ancient serpent? It's a serpent in the garden that deceived Eve. This is the one that's being bound. Then he goes on to say, to clear up any mystery, who is the devil and Satan, the one we call the devil and Satan? He is going to be bound, but he's not just going to be defeated, friends. Look at what it says in verse number two. It says he's going to be seized. Then later on in verse number two, he's going to be bound then in verse number three, he's going to be thrown into the pit. The pit is going to be shut, and then it's going to be sealed. I just love this imagery. I love this visual that Satan is going to be handcuffed. He's going to be hogtied. He's going to be thrown in that pit. The door is going to be closed. It's going to be sealed, and he will not be able to exercise any power. He is a defeated foe. What are you saying, Chris? I'm saying there's a day that's coming where injustice will be defeated. There's a day that's coming where evil will be defeated. There's a day that's coming where all that is demonic is going to be defeated. One of the things that this text does for us is it cuts against the grain of secular atheism that tries to make us uh, think that everything that is broken in our culture and our lives is all rationalistic, that if we just educate humanity enough, if we just give them enough sufficient sophistication and culture that we will one day morally outgrow our fallenness. But we're the most affluent country the world has ever seen. And have you cut on the news lately? If money could do it, we wouldn't see the type of stuff we're seeing. And the stuff that we're seeing, it's not all natural. Satan influences and puts thoughts into the minds of people. Have you ever seen such evil that you say, this is just purely demonic? And not only are these evil things happening, but We've graduated to the place of our immorality where we celebrate evil, we legislate evil, we rejoice in evil, and all of this demonic stuff is happening. But a day is coming, friends, where the enemy is going to be captured, he is going to be bound, he is going to be hogtied, thrown in a pit, it will be sealed, and he will deceive no more. How many thank God for that day that's coming on the horizon? So what's the message? The message is don't give up hope. Now, let me give you an analogy of this, uh, because I can imagine it must have been hard for them facing all the fierceness of Nero, lions, and torches and burned at the stake and being robbed and beaten for their faith surely they were thinking about giving up surely they were nervous what's what's going to be the outcome of all of this have I believed in vain have I trusted in vain and some of you maybe even wrestle with that today you know I'm a sports fan I admit it I got a problem I mean I watch it all I mean I I, uh, get into I can even get into a good cricket match if you let me But I grew up playing baseball, I love baseball. Boys play football, daughter plays soccer, another son plays basketball, and I love it all. One of the things that I love are these classic channels that will play sports games from, you know, uh, old eras. I mean, long times ago, like the 90s, can you believe that, like, right? And some of these games, I remember watching, and I mean, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat when I'm watching it live, wondering, are we gonna pull it out? How many of you remember the, you might be young, you may not remember this, but how many of you remember the 1984 Bless You Boys Tigers? How many of you remember them, right? I remember as a boy loving baseball, watching them like every day, right? I'm I'm watching them like every day, and and true story, my grandmother, bless her heart, she's going to be with the Lord, we will watch them together, and if the game was too tight, Granny would stand up and lay her hands on the TV screen, (laughs) start praying, Jesus, intervene, bless Alan Trammell to hit a single, you know? So we'd be watching these games together, whole family got it bad, pray for my deliverance, And so we were watching these games together. But now, the classic games replay those games and I'm totally chill. I'm relaxed. I'm watching those same games. I can eat popcorn, have side conversations. I haven't prayed over a TV in a long time. (laughs) Now what's the difference? What's the difference between watching the replay of the classic game or watching it live? The difference is, and some of you said it, I know the outcome. I know that they're going to win. I know how it's going to finish. I know the final ending, heroics. And friends, that's the point. John is given this vision so that he can give a vivid image of the future so that the saints in his original audience, and us by extension, can know how the game ends. And what's the hope is that it will birth in us a peace. A peace that says... My faith is not in vain. A piece that says that trusting the Lord is worth it. A piece that says evil you may think you're winning now, but I'm promising you there's a day that's coming where you will be defeated. And how do I know? It's because the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God has told me so. How many thank God for his word? Satan is bound is the first thing we see. Second thing we see is that the saints reign with the victorious king. Look at what it says, verse number four. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom uh, the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark in their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There we see it again. Six times in this chapter, he mentions the thousand-year reign of Christ. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection, over which the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. We see it again. Now, John introduces to us two resurrections, a first and a second, two deaths, a first and a second. And uh, what is he trying to communicate to us here is that Christ is returning. He's going to establish his millennial reign, his thousand-year reign. Again, I see that literally. I recognize some may have uh, various opinions on the symbolism of that, but he's going to come. And what we do agree on, what we must agree on, is that Christ will reign. And we're going to reign with him. That's where all parties agree that he's going to reign and we're going to reign with him. But there's two groups that he specifically mentions are going to reign with him. The first are martyrs. They are known here as those who were beheaded for their faith. And this isn't something that any of us will voluntarily just sign up for. But this is something that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have paid the price of and will pay the price of for their faith in Jesus Christ. And is there a reward for holding on to your faith even in the face of martyrdom? The answer is yes, there is a reward. And what is the reward and what is the promise? The reward and the promise is that you will reign with him and be given a crown of life. And what an exchange. Yes, temporal death but that's exchange for eternal life. Yes, cut short in this fallen world, but that's exchange for eternity in paradise. How many think that's a good exchange to be with him forever and ever? But not just them, but also there will be those who refuse to worship the beast. Who is the beast? The beast is uh, part of the unholy trinity that we were introduced to last week. It is the Antichrist. And here's the thing you gotta know is that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And yes, it will be embodied in a particular person, but the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. And we worship the Antichrist anytime we allow culture to define our ethics and morality instead of Christ defining our ethics and morality. When culture defines what's right and wrong and how we parent and how we go about our married life or our our singleness or our job or how we use our time, talent, and our treasure or our sexuality or our money. When all of these things are defined by the shifting sentiments of culture, we are already worshiping the beast and the antichrist. But when instead we allow the authority of God's infallible word to reign and we submit ourselves to Christ saying, you alone, O Lord, define what is right right and wrong in my marriage or in my singleness or in my parenting or in my job or how I use my time, talent, and treasure, in my sexuality and in my use of my money, that you have the final authority. When we do that, we are submitting ourselves to Christ and rejecting the Antichrist. And the promise that we may be persecuted in this life and we may be treated as obsolete, out not in line with the current culture, maybe even criticized as being bigoted or hypocritical or even judgmental or whatever negative adjectives they want to ascribe to us, if we humbly and lovingly remain faithful to Christ, we will reign with him. That in the end, though evil may seem in the short term expedient, ultimately what is greater is fidelity to Christ. And those who refuse to bow their knee will experience reigning with him. Those who died, the first resurrection. Now that second resurrection is for those who died and rejected Christ. They will be raised at the end of the millennial age and they will be judged. And they will ultimately be judged. So the question of the text today is, what are you focused on? Ultimately, it's designed to give hope to those who have put their faith in Christ. And to encourage those who haven't, let today be the day of salvation. Ultimately, it is designed to say, keep your eyes on him. What allowed them to sustain through the difficulties of their day? It was having a picture of a future day. And what will allow us to sustain hope and have peace in our day? It is to have a picture of that day that is coming. Don't lose sight of that day. And if today you don't know his love, his grace, his mercy, if you don't know the healing and the restoration that comes from a relationship with Christ, let today be the day of your salvation. I want to do something that we don't do too often. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. i want to ask you to search your heart. And in the privacy of your own moment, i want to ask you to think deeply. Today, do you need a relationship with Christ? For some of you, for the first time, for some of you, it is coming back to him after walking away from him. Praise God, he is merciful. He will forgive us. And the things that are broken in our lives, he will make all things new. So he gives us this promise that if we trust in him, We will be with him and he will be with us even in our difficulties. So as you search your heart, I'd love to pray for those of you who today want to give your life to Christ or come back to him again. I'm not going to make you come up to the front or leave your seat or anything, but I'd love to know who you are so I can pray for you. So while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if that's you, can you just lift your hand in the air? If today you know you need Jesus, just lift it and keep it lifted. Today, you know you need to restore your relationship with the Lord. And it's great seeing hands all over the building lifted. Keep it high. And I love to pray for you. Young, old, married, single, in between. Can't live my life on my own. I've messed it up enough. I need the grace of God to restore me. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I thank you that you allow us to come as we are, just as we are. And Lord, we don't bring perfection to the table. Only you can do that. We bring our imperfections and our needs. But thank you that you see our needs. And as someone said, you look beyond our faults to our needs. And our greatest need is spiritual. We need a savior. So Lord, I pray that today, my brothers and sisters, would know your nearness, that today would be a day where we denounce sin and Satan, and we confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives. We ask you to come in, God, take rulership in our hearts, and lead us in your path. And we pledge today that we will follow you. It's in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and magnificent name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family.